Oh. Also, I was really bad at the other stuff. <laughs> that's, that's a great really answer. Like my, good... you know, like my, my screenplay sucked, right? <laughs> Blogging wasn't going to take me anywhere. I tried writing fiction. I was terrible at it. But journalism yeah, worked. Yeah. Hey everybody and welcome to How the Fuck Did You Get That Job, the show where two not-so-interesting guys ask interesting people one question and then interrupt them as they try to answer it. Joining us today is Jason Pfeiffer. Jason graduated from Clark University in 2002. He stayed in Massachusetts working as a reporter for five years before becoming an editor for Boston Magazine. After a year there, he moved on to become a senior level editor at some of the biggest name publications in the US and around the world. Men's Health, Fast Company, and Maxim, just to name a few. In 2015, Jason began working at Entrepreneur Media, and today he is their editor-in-chief, in addition to being a keynote speaker and hosting three podcasts, and thus being three times better than us at life. Those podcasts are Pessimist Archive, Problem Solvers, and Hush Money. Jason, welcome to the show, and how the fuck did you get that job? Well, I guess, uh, which job? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, uh, let's just start from the beginning. What made Clark University the right choice for you? Oh man. Uh, well, so I grew up in South Florida. I knew I wanted to get out of South Florida. I hated South Florida. And I was looking for something at the time that was kind of offbeat, was in a urban environment, but not a big city because, I mean, I live in New York now, but big cities at the time felt a little intimidating because I grew up in suburbia. And, um, and, and that, that didn't have a particular prescription. I didn't really know what it was that I wanted to do. And a number of people suggested I check out Clark. And Clark at the time was known for being a really funky place with an interesting crowd of people who were accepted for more than just the numbers on their SATs and whatever grades and stuff. And I went and I liked it. And I said, yes, I got to say it was a, it was a, one of those big life decisions that I didn't, I didn't evaluate that heavily. I just kind of, I just kind of did it. That's great. That's also kind of made it the right choice too. When, yeah. when, when you're, so then you go, go to Clark, I, like you said, get exposed to a lot of different opinions. Was being a reporter always in the cards? Was it like right when I step on campus, that's what I want to do? Or was that something you found while you were there? No, it wasn't. I knew that I wanted to write. That's what I knew because in high school, I had, so in high school, I was like, my, my primary focus was music and writing. And so I was in a band and blah, blah, blah. But I also had written a lot for the local music magazines, which was an amazing experience because if you're writing for the local music magazines, that means you get into the shows for free. You get CDs for free, which mattered at the time because everything was not digital. I mean, I, you know, for what it's worth, I, I graduated high school in 1998 and, and I got to interview all these bands that I loved. So that was my first entry into journalism, but I was also blogging before the word blogging existed. And so I was doing kind of creative writing and I was working on a screenplay. And so I knew, I, I knew that the thing that I was drawn to that I thought I could do well was to write, but I didn't know how to harness that into something productive. But at school, 
I got involved in the student. There was a student newspaper and a student magazine. The student newspaper felt too institutional for me, but the student magazine was this weird ragtag group of people. And also I was able to walk in and play a pretty significant role pretty early, which, which I have to say it has a real lot of value to it. People often want to go and get a job at some cool big place you know, if you're in journalism, it's you dream of like graduating college and getting a job at the New York Times. And that's that's cool and all. But the problem is, if you walk into a gigantic institution, you're a really small part of that gigantic institution, like an insignificant part of that gigantic institution. And if you are in a small place, then you get to grow really fast and you get to play a role, an outsized role to your experience. And I have found that because a lot of my my first jobs were at pretty small places. And that included that student newspaper or the student magazine. So I grew to, you know, be the like executive editor and then editor in chief fairly quickly. And that's when I learned, uh, and then I'll shut up. That's when I learned this really <laughs> valuable thing, which was journalism, I discovered was a ticket to talking to people that you wouldn't normally talk to about things that you wouldn't normally talk about. And once you're once you're a journalist, you have a window to the world, and that's amazing. And so I just decided to start pursuing that. Awesome. Also, I was really bad at the other stuff. <laughs> that's a that's great really answer. Like my, good... you know, like my my screenplay sucked. Right, <laughs> blogging wasn't going to take me anywhere. I tried writing fiction. I was terrible at it, but journalism worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what you said about the institutions. Like that's something like David and I both interned at a, a it was a small sports agency at the time. It was uh, Vayner sports and yeah. they, the stuff we got to do, we got to sell sponsorships. We got to do, we got to do things that we would have never gotten to do otherwise when, so that when you're leaving school, was that, was that like the main thing you were looking for then was just a place where you could write sort of to an extent no. what you wanted to write about? No, this is in hindsight. This is in yeah. hindsight. What I wanted to do is I wanted to go work for the New York Times straight out of college, just like just like anybody else or whatever, right? Like, no, no, no. I mean, I'm not, I believe me, I'm not humble and strategic enough to have been like, what I want to do is go to a small town. And but but I I just didn't have any connections. I mean, I, you know, I I I went to school in central Massachusetts. I had no connections to any magazine, national magazines, or didn't know anybody at the New York Times. There was nothing for me to do except to put myself out into the market in central Massachusetts. And I got my first job was at this tiny, tiny paper called the Gardner News, circulation 6,000, covering like nothing. And I hated it. I totally, it's only in retrospect that I realized that it was a really valuable experience. But at the time, I despised it. I guess one thing when you when you were back at like at these publications like and you and you start getting real world experience at these small places like what's something that surprised you about the industry? I thought that I could bust ass and people would notice. People don't. People don't notice. Like they just they don't. I mean, you know, once you get to a certain level, if you bust ass, some people start to notice, but like at the beginning, people don't. And so one of the greatest decisions that I ever made was after one year at the Gardner News, I quit uh, because it was good experience. It gave me really, it gave me really, I learned a lot there, but I, I had my eye, like I said, on writing for the New York Times or something. And I had very quickly realized nobody, zero people 
at the New York Times or the Washington Post or wherever it is that I wanted to work in the future that I thought that I could, I would be able to develop the skill set to work for. None of those people were reading my work. None. And they were never, ever, ever, ever going to reach out to me and be like, oh, I really liked that article you did about the middle school play. Why don't you come work for the New York Times? Or like that was never going to happen. And so I needed to go to them. So I quit that job and I started freelancing out of my bedroom and I just started pitching large publications and being like, here's an idea. What do you think of it? And because I needed to go and show these people that I could work for them. And that meant not sitting around waiting for them. At the time, how big of a risk was that? Like, for, per, I guess being perceived from the outside, because I know if I'm tracking your career the right way, at this time, the internet's like completely changing the way journalism and magazines and everything's yeah. working. But was that something tough to explain to like your parents or some like the people around you of like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna write for all these publications, even though I'm technically not on staff. So I was vaguely aware of a world of freelance writers because publications operate with staff and with freelancers. And you're right, this was a time in which the internet was was just starting to radically change everything in my industry. But I had a couple for I had a couple things going for me. One of them was, you know, you said explain to my parents. My parents have just been always extremely supportive. So they it made, you know, whatever I explained it to them. I had, a, I had a logic to it and they said, go for it. Also, I was supporting myself anyway, because, and this is another important thing, you know, when you choose to work at a tiny little company or not choose, but you just are working at a tiny little company in a tiny little town, your expenses are pretty low, right? Like this would have been a far larger risk if I had done it when I lived in New York City, but I didn't. I lived in central Massachusetts. I was living with three other friends in a dumpy apartment next to a graveyard. My rent every month was $500, right? So I was able to, I was able to take, some, take a significant risk and give up income. And, you know, I wasn't making that much. That, that first newspaper paid me $20,000 a year. I wasn't making that much to begin with. And so if I could go out and I could, figure out how to scrounge together enough freelance work to cover like, you know, 500 bucks for rent, another couple hundred bucks for food and movies and whatever, then I was doing okay. And I could, I could at least play the experiment out for a year. And this is what's valuable about doing things with low stakes. And, and it's so funny because that 20K salary in Central Mass is probably equal to about 100K in New York City. Yeah, very well might be. You're right. You're right. <laughs> So we kind of touched on on you starting to freelance. What made it the right choice to then start doing the the full time editing with a publication? Like, what was that jump like to just diving into men's health? And were, were you kind of was that was that scary at all to just focus in on kind of one niche? So there were a couple. I mean, there were a couple steps before men's health. But but what happened was uh, after I, so one of the regular places that I started freelancing for was a slightly larger newspaper, like hundred thousand circulation, also in central Massachusetts. And eventually they offered me a job, and I took it because I realized I could continue to freelance while also working this job, and therefore I could kind of do both at the same time. I could get back into the steady stream of employment, and and just have a little more money. And also it was really lonely freelancing by myself and at the same time pursue the freelancing that I thought was ultimately going to be more valuable for my career. And then eventually I started writing for Boston Magazine and I realized that I wanted to move into magazines. And then you start to look at what are the jobs 
Like, what are the jobs? And in magazines, the answer is the jobs are in editing. They just are. They're just magazines are full of editors. They're not full of very many writers. Back then, maybe there was one or two writers on staff. Now there's like almost no writers on staff. I don't have a writer on staff. And so I realized I got to be an editor. I don't want to be an editor. I'd rather be a writer, but I'm going to be an editor who writes because that's the way that I'm going to get into the stream of jobs. So that's how, so then I fashioned myself. It took a long time to convince the editor in chief of Boston Magazine, which was my first magazine, that I could do the work because I was a writer and he was trying to hire an editor. And you know what I ultimately did? I ultimately quit my newspaper job in central Massachusetts and I got an apartment in Boston and I told that guy I was ready to go work for him. And that was pretty convincing. Uh, I mean, he still threw some other work at me to see if I could do it. But, you know, I, I, I have always, I've always carried around the title of editor with a level of tension because I've never wanted to be an editor, but an editor is where the jobs are. And frankly, look at me now. I mean, like editor in chief of a magazine is, is, is like, I'm the person everybody wants to talk to. It's super cool. What would I rather be doing? I'd rather be writing, but this, but the editing job worked and you know, you, you have to live with some tension in your career. And, and that's interesting too. Cause you just realized, you know, where's the demand. Okay. I need to, to, to seek, seek the need and fill the need there. I mean, I, w I just want you to take us up to speed with uh, entrepreneurs magazine and just talking about like what, what made it the right pivot uh, and what makes you most excited about what you're doing today. Yeah, so so I, I'm really obsessed with seeing the opportunity beyond the opportunity. Um, I have this I have this theory about work, and uh, it's called work your next job, and that means that in front of you at any time, you, me, everybody listening, we have two sets of opportunities: opportunity set A, opportunity set B. Opportunity set A are all the things that are being asked of you right now the things that you are measured on, the things that your boss needs, your day-to-day -day responsibilities, that's opportunity set A, do well with them. Opportunity set B is everything that's available to you that nobody's asking you to do. And that could be stuff at wherever you work, but that could also be stuff outside of where you work. Some, can you, are you interested in podcasts? Wanna go create a podcast? Nobody asked you to create a podcast. Can you do it? Yes, okay, there's part of opportunity set B if that's something you wanna pursue. Anyway, my philosophy has always been that opportunity set B is more important because if you focus on opportunity set A, all you do is become qualified for the thing you're already doing. But opportunity set B expands your horizons. It makes you infinitely more marketable. It gives you more skills and you can go more places. So at every job that I've done, I have focused on opportunity set B. So when I'm, at, I'm an entrepreneur, how did I get to Entrepreneur Magazine? I was at Maxim and I wanted to get out and there was an opening for an executive editor at Entrepreneur Magazine. I'll be honest with you, I never picked it up. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, but what I wanted was I wanted to learn how to be the executive editor, which is the number two at a publication, have a significant role in, in shaping it. And I also knew that it would come with some other opportunities that I couldn't imagine. I got the job. Nine months later, the editor-in-chief left. I made a play for editor-in-chief. I got that job. Originally, I thought of it as a job about um, making a magazine and shaping this brand. And it is that, and that's all awesome. But eventually I realized, oh, wait a second. There's also all this other stuff that now I get to do. Now I get to speak. 
Now I get to build a personal brand. Now I get to do all sorts of stuff. I get to, you know, startups want to come and talk to me. And so I started leaning pretty heavily into that while also making a great brand. And the reason I'm doing that is because I'm always thinking, what else can I learn? The opportunity at Entrepreneur Magazine isn't just to be editor-in-chief. It's to, it's to take advantage of everything that's available to me because I'm editor-in-chief. And I will just continue to do that over and over again. I love that. I love, I love opportunity set A, opportunity set B. It, it, it simplifies like a lot of, I guess, how, I, how I'm thinking about my work right now. Okay, so we're terrible at ending these. So we end them with uh, the, sure. quick, the quick question round, uh, for, formerly sponsored by my mom, uh, now sponsor us. What happened to your mom? Uh, she, she pulled she, her sponsorship? She, yeah, she didn't see a whole lot of uh, opportunity moving forward. It's Not kinda, a lot yeah. of ROI. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number one, person you'd most want to sit down to dinner with. So, so somebody historical and long dead. I, I'm not that interested in people who are who are. I'm like super. I want to find like a, I want to find like a medieval serf and sit down and have dinner with them. Uh, favorite city in the world? New York City, which is where I live, which is amazing. And if I had to live anywhere else, it would be Berlin. Okay. Is it okay to sleep with socks on? Yeah, if you're cold. Right. It's, it's okay to do anything. It's your Let's world. It's your world. Best spot to eat in Massachusetts. Spike's hot dogs. I have no idea if they still exist. They were in Boston and Providence. I really hope they still do because man, the buns on those hot dogs were amazing. Go, go to Spike's. Uh, coolest entrepreneur in your eyes right now. I don't know. I, I'm going to tell you, I don't know his or her name, but it's somebody who is building something completely amazing because of the pandemic. And they saw an opportunity that nobody else did. And they are going to rise to the very top of, of their industry and the, they're going to be saving lives. Uh, and I don't just mean because they made a vaccine or whatever, but like this was a moment of so much opportunity right now. And so many awesome things are going to come out of it. And we don't know that person's name yet, but we're going to. I like that. Uh, one thing people don't understand about working as an editor is blank. They think that it's all exciting and it's actually a lot of tedium. A lot, it's a lot of sitting in front of a, of a computer, like responding to emails and, and editing stories. Uh, and, and it's not nearly as, it, it ain't, it ain't uh, what was that movie? It ain't the devil wears Prada. It's not the devil wears Prada, it's just not. What's the worst advice you've ever been given? You know, I've probably been given a lot of bad advice and I just ignored it. And then it, and then it didn't even stay with me. Uh, you know, somebody told me to, um, somebody told me very, very early on to, to have a specialty. And, um, and, and I don't, I think that was bad advice. Uh, I, I think that I've developed a specialty at this point and it's been really good, but at the beginning, I, I, there was no need for a specialty. What I needed to do was move around and find opportunities to learn wherever they were. And, uh, like, you know, my, my career path sounds like I'm jumping all over the place. Boston Magazine, Men's Health, Bass Company, Maxim. But, but each one of those was, was selected for a specific reason. It was because of an opportunity that the, 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 the publication provided me to learn something new, to learn some kind of new skill set. I was focusing on skill set instead of subject matter, instead of specialization, um, and being always mindful of what I didn't know. And, uh, and had I just been like, I'm going to be a sports writer, then I would have limited I would have limited my path severely. So I'm really glad I didn't do that. Last but not least, in 2030, you can catch Jason Pfeiffer blank. On the moon. I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I guess in, in 2030, I would hope I, I'm, you know, I'm working on a lot of really cool new projects right now, books, television stuff. 
So, um, you know, and then I, as you know, I do the podcasts and I do the magazines. So I, you know what, I'm going to answer this. I'm going to give you the, the most obnoxious word, but I actually do kind of feel it, which is everywhere. You can catch me everywhere. Love it. Love it. Love ladies, it. ladies and gentlemen, Jason Pfeiffer, Jason, if people want to keep up with you. Where's the best place to follow you? Yeah. So uh, well, you can follow me. So I, I will respond. I promise. If you reach out DM on Instagram or LinkedIn, I will respond on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Hey Pfeiffer, H-E-Y-F-E-I-F-E-R. Follow me, whatever. And then JasonPfeiffer.com, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Um, and you can sign up for my newsletter there where, uh, where I share all sorts of great stuff about how to, how to you know, find opportunity and change and go build your own future. There it is. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Cool, guys. Thanks, thanks a lot.